Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Medisodes where we will be looking at the liver. We will be covering the anatomy of the liver, function of the liver, diseases of the liver and how diseases of the liver are diagnosed and treated. But first let us start off with Trey who will be talking about the anatomy. So the liver is a very important organ found in the upper right hand quadrant of the abdominal cavity beneath other important organs such as the diaphragm, the stomach, the kidneys and the intestines which are all part of the digestive system which the liver is also part of. Given how important it is, it's important that it's protected and this is done by the rib cage. The liver itself is a dark reddish brown colour and has a rubbery texture. It's fairly large at 3 pounds or 1.3 kilos. Is the largest visceral structure in the abdomen and largest gland in the body. The liver has two types of external surface, diaphragmatic and visceral. Diaphragmatic surfaces are found on the anterior superior part of the liver, so the top part of the liver at the front, and they're smooth and convex, and they fit snug, snugly beneath the curvature of the diaphragm which is important as the diaphragm is going up and down. On the posterior side, so on the back side, the surface is not covered by the visceral peritoneum, which is a layer of tissue on the outer surface of most tissues within the abdomen. This means there's direct contact between the diaph- with the diaphragm, known as the bare area of the liver. Moving on to the visceral surfaces, these are found on the posterior inferior part of the liver which is at the front at the bottom and they're covered with peritoneum except for the fossa of the gallbladder and the porta hepatis. They're moulded by the surrounding organs which are all very important which makes them irregular and flat. They have contact with the right kidney, right adrenal gland, colon, duodenum, gallbladder, esophagus and stomach showing how central the liver is within the digestive system. There are also hepatic recesses, and these are anatomical spaces between the liver and the surrounding structures found in the abdomen. And these are of clinical importance because infections may collect in these areas, forming abscesses. So the subphrenic recess is found between the diaphragm and the anterior superior part of the liver. The subhepatic recess is found between the inferior surface of the liver and the colon, And Morrison's pouch is between the visceral liver tissue and the right kidney. The liver is covered by a fibrous layer known as Glisten's capsule and is subdivided into two lobes, a large right lobe and a smaller left lobe. Additionally to this, there are also accessory lobes that are found on the visceral surface of the right lobe. And these are the chordate lobe found on the upper surface and the quadrate lobe found on the lower surface and these are separated by a deep transverse fissure running down the liver called the porta hepatis. Looking at the individual liver cells which are known as hepatocytes they are structured into units called lobules which are hexagonal shapes. In this hexagonal structure there's a central vein which delivers blood to the lobule. On the periphery of the hexagon is found the portal triad And these are arterioles, uh, branches of the hepatic artery, 
venules, which are branches of the portal vein, and a bile duct. There's also lymphatic vessels and vagus nerves. The liver has a unique dual blood supply, not found in many other organs. 25% of the blood comes from the hepatic artery, which is which supplies blood to non-parenchymal structures. And that means structures that aren't that don't help the function of the liver, they're more structural. And is derived from the colic trunk. The rest, the majority, 75%, comes from the portal vein. And this means because it's a vein, they're part the blood is partially deoxygenated and has nutrients from the small intestine. And this is where this helps with gut, the gut-related functions of the liver that Anapam is going to cover later. The portal vein is the main supply to the hepatocytes. The blood from it drains into the central vein of the lobule mentioned earlier, and into the hepatic vein, and then into the inferior vena cava, and then into the heart to be recirculated. In terms of the nervous system, the liver is innervated by the hepatic plexus. Sympathetic nerves are to do with fight or flight response, while parasympathetic nerves are to do with calming the body and maintaining control of bodily functions. These fibres enter through the porta hepatis and follow the hepatic artery and portal veins. Now that we've got a brief overview of the anatomy of the liver, let's move on to Anapam, who's going to be talking about the functions of the liver. The liver is one of the most important organs in the whole human body. In fact, some people think that it has up to 500 separate functions, although this is usually in combination with other systems and organs. Of course, today we're only going to be covering the most important of these 500. As a result, currently no artificial organ or device is capable of reproducing all these functions. Some of them can be carried out by things such as liver dialysis, which is an experimental treatment for liver failure, something that we're going to cover later on. However, there is no way to replicate all of its many functions. Because of this, the liver actually accounts for up to 20% of resting total body oxygen consumption. So, of these 500 vital functions, some of the more well-known ones include the production of bile. Bile is a substance which helps carry away waste and break down fat in the small intestine during digestion. The liver does this to regulate the chemical levels in the blood and helps carry away waste products. All blood leaving the stomach and intestines passes through the liver. And so as the liver processes this blood, it breaks down, balances, and also creates nutrients and also metabolizes drugs into forms that are easier to use for the rest of the body or that are non-toxic. For example, a lot of what goes to the kidneys passes through the blood first before being excreted. Another thing that the liver does is production of certain proteins. These can be used for many things. One is for blood plasma. Another one is the production of albumin, a protein that keeps fluids in the bloodstream from leaking into surrounding tissue. This also helps in the bloodstream's ability to carry hormones, vitamins and enzymes. It also produces special proteins to help carry fats through the body, as well as producing cholesterol. Another way that it helps with the production of proteins is the regulation of blood levels of amino acids, which are, of course, the building blocks for proteins. The liver makes sure that amino acid levels in the bloodstream remain healthy and ensure that all the cells around the body are receiving the correct amount. Besides that, the liver also looks at the conversion of glucose into glycogen. 
glycogen is a more densely compact version of glucose and is a lot easier to store in the human body. But it also does the reverse, turning glycogen into glucose, allowing for more energy in the body at critical moments. The liver also stores alongside glycogen vitamins and minerals, storing significant amounts of vitamins A, D, E, K and B12, as well as minerals such as iron and copper. Here's a fun fact. The liver of a polar bear actually contains so much vitamin A that you would actually die if you tried to eat it. So you can see how much important minerals and vitamins a liver will store. The liver also clears the blood of drugs and other poisonous substances during that filtration process, converting things such as ammonia to urea. It also, in terms of the blood, helps regulate blood clotting, creating coagulants using the vitamins that are stored there, such as vitamin K, which can only be absorbed with the help of bile, a fluid the liver produces. In this sense, you can see how all the different systems interlink with each other and what makes the liver so important as a system and organ. The liver also makes immune factors to help resist infections and also directly removes bacteria from the bloodstream during the filtration process and also clears bilirubin from the blood and also red blood cells, a certain chemical that, if there's too much of, can cause the skin and eyes to turn yellow. This happens especially in things such as jaundice. So when the liver has broken down these harmful substances, its byproducts are usually excreted either into the bile, which breaks it down further, and enter the intestine and then leave the body in the form of feces, or it puts it back into the blood, which are then filtered out by the kidneys. Either way, the processed um, chemicals are sent out of the body by the liver. Now, we've talked a lot about what the liver does, but what happens if the liver doesn't do its job correctly? Moving on now, we're going to be talking about the diseases of the liver. And for that, I'll hand over to Adrian. The liver is one of the largest organs in the body, and it's prone to several different diseases. Diseases of the liver cost the NHS loads of money every year. Liver disease is an umbrella term for loads of different types of specific disease that occur in the liver. To start off with, I'll talk about alcohol-related liver disease. Alcohol-related liver disease refers to liver damage that is caused by excess alcohol intake. There are several stages of severity and a range of associated symptoms to this disease. Usually, this disease is quite hard to detect early on, because the symptoms occur quite late in this stage of liver damage. When the liver is severely damaged, symptoms can include sickness, weight loss, a loss of appetite, jaundice, swelling in the ankles, and drowsiness. This means that alcohol-related li liver disease is often diagnosed during blood tests for other conditions, because it's not often something that, that people notice and are looking for when they are going to see their doctor. Of course, as the name suggests, alcohol intake is the number one key cause of this. And of course, different people have different levels of alcohol tolerances and some people's liver will be damaged faster than others based on how much al alcohol they drink. So of course, moderation is the best here. So the liver is the most complex organ in the body, with the exception of the brain. It performs several different functions that Anupam has just discussed. And its anatomy is incredibly, incredibly complex, as Shreyas discussed earlier. And the liver is quite resilient compared to other organs and is able to regenerate if some cells die. Alcohol use damages the liver cells and in moderation the liver is able to regenerate and overcome this damage. But prolonged alcohol misuse over many years can reduce the ability to do so. 
and this results in serious and permanent damage to the liver. Alcohol-related liver damage is quite common in the UK, and the number of people with the conditions has been increasing over the last few decades as a result of increasing levels of alcohol misuse and a lack of information. So, there are three main stages to this disease, although they are not distinct and is often a smooth progression. First of all, alcoholic fatty liver disease. Drinking a large amount of alcohol, even for a few days, can lead to a build-up of fats in the liver. And this is the first stage of alcohol-related liver disease. This fatty li liver disease doesn't cause any symptoms, but is an important warning sign that you're drinking at a harmful level. So if people do go for a checkup and doctors notice this, then the disease may be stopped earlier on. The next stage is alcohol hepatitis, which is unrelated to infectious hepatitis, but it is a potentially serious condition that can be caused by alcohol misuse over a longer period. When this develops, it may be the first time that a person understands or is aware that they are damaging their liver through alcohol, because this is the earliest stage that the symptoms are often revealed. Less commonly, alcohol hepatitis can occur if you drink a large amount of alcohol in a short period of time. The liver damage associated with mild alcoholic hepatitis is usually reversible if you stop drinking permanently. But severe alcoholic hepatitis is a severe and life-threatening condition. Cirrhosis is the final stage of alcohol-related liver disease, where the liver has become significantly scarred. And even at this stage, some people don't have any symptoms. It's generally not reversible at this point, but stopping alcohol immediately can prevent further damage and can increase your life expectancy. So, you now move on to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and this is linked very closely to obesity, which we discussed in Medicine's episode 5, so be sure to check that one out for more information on this chronic condition. So, a healthy liver should contain little or no fat. It's estimated that one in every three people in the UK has early stages of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, where there are small amounts of fat in the liver. Early stage non-alcoholic fatty liver disease does not cause any harm, but it can lead to serious liver damage if it gets worse. Having high levels of fat is also associated with increased risk of other health problems, such as diabetes and high blood pressure, as well as kidney disease. We also discuss kidney disease on this channel, so be sure to check that out too. If detected and managed at an early stage, it's possible to manage this disease without it getting worse and reduce the amount of fat in the liver. So this disease develops in four distinct stages. Most people will only ever develop the first stage, and without often realising it. At start is simply fatty liver, a largely harmless build-up of fat in the liver cells that may only be diagnosed during tests carried out for a different reason, much like alcohol-related liver disease. Next is non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, which is a more serious form, where the liver has become inflamed, and about 5% of the UK population is affected by this. Next is fibrosis, where persistent inflammation causes scar tissue around the liver and nearby blood vessels to develop, but the liver is still able to function normally, just. And cirrhosis is the final stage occurring after years of inflammation, where the liver is shrunken and becomes scarred and lumpy. This damage is permanent and can lead to liver failure and liver cancer. The next disease I'll be talking about is hepatitis, which is quite easily the most common liver disease known by society today. It's a term used to describe inflammation of the liver, and it's usually the result of viral infection of the liver caused by drinking alcohol. There are several different types of hepatitis, but they all focus on a similar symptoms. Short-term hepatitis often has no notable symptoms, so you may not realise you have it. Symptoms, however, can include muscle pain, high temperature, sickness, an unusual tiredness, a feeling of illness, 
dark urine and itchy skin. This is quite similar to other symptoms too. Is this is, the, these symptoms are quite similar to other diseases. So if a patient does go in to get it checked out, it may be that they are looking for something else. Hepatitis A is caused by the hepatitis A virus. It's usually caught by consuming food and drink contaminated with feces of an infected person. Most common in countries where sanitation is poor. It passes within a few months, although it can be severe and even life-threatening. And currently we don't have a specific treatment for it, other than to relieve symptoms like paracetamol. Hepatitis B is an infection caused by the hepatitis B virus, which is spread through the blood of an infected person. It's common worldwide and is usually spread from infected women to their babies, or from child to child contact. It is uncommon in the UK due to the strict hygiene measures we have here, and most cases affect people who become infected while growing up in a part of the world where the infection is more common, such as Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Most adults infected with hepatitis B are able to fight off the virus and fully recover from the infection within a couple of months. But most people infected as children develop a long-term infection, and this is known as chronic hepatitis B, and can lead to cirrhosis and the liver cancer. Antiviral medication can be used to treat it. In the UK, vaccination against hepatitis B is recommended for people in high-risk groups, such as healthcare workers, children born to mothers with hepatitis B, and people travelling to parts of the world where infection is more common. Hepatitis C is caused by the hepatitis C virus, and is the most common form of viral hepatitis in the UK. It's usually spread through blood-to-blood contact as well. In the UK, it's most commonly spread through a lack of needle hygiene. Poor healthcare practices are the main way it's spread outside the UK. Often there are no noticeable symptoms, or only flu-like symptoms, so many people are unaware they're affected. Around 1 in 4 people will fight the infection and be free of the virus, and in the remaining cases, it will stay in the body for many, many years. There are, of course, several other different types of hepatitis. The final one I'll discuss is autoimmune hepatitis, which is an interesting case in that it's not caused by a virus. It's a rare cause of long-term hepatitis, in which the immune system attacks and damages the liver. As with all autoimmune diseases, it's not caused by an external factor, but rather the immune system recognising the liver cells as foreign and attacking them with antibodies. Eventually the liver can become so damaged it stops working. Treatment for this disease involves effective medicines that suppress the immune system and reduce inflammation. The problem with these is that they make the person more susceptible to other diseases of the body, since the immune system is lowered. As with all autoimmune diseases, the cause of this is unknown, and it's not known whether any thing can be done to prevent it. I now move on to talk finally about hemochromatosis, which is a gene that runs in families and is often passed from parent to child. It's an inherited condition in which iron levels in the body build up slowly over the years. This buildup of iron, known as an iron overload, can cause unpleasant symptoms, and if it's not treated, it can damage parts of the body, including the liver, but also the joints, pancreas and heart. Hemochromatosis often acts, affects people of white and European background, and it's particularly common in countries where lots of people have a Celtic background, such as Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Symptoms of hemochromatosis usually start between the ages of 30 and 60. Symptoms include tiredness, weight loss, weakness and joint pain. Of course, there are several other different types of liver disease, and the liver being such a complex and, and large organ is prone to several different issues. And for the treatments of these diseases, I'll hand over now to Surya. So now we are going to be looking into the diagnosis and treatment of liver diseases. There are a few specific types of liver diseases that I'll be covering, and these include 
non-alcoholic fatty liver disease can be defined simply as the buildup of excess fat in the liver. Viral hepatitis, which refers to the inflammation of the liver due to viral infection. Hemochromatosis, a condition in which your body stores too much iron. This iron deposition can have great damage to your liver. And liver cirrhosis, which is um, the scarring of the liver caused by long-term liver damage, for example, due to alcohol. Let us start by looking at how liver cirrhosis is diagnosed and treated. CT scans can be a visual way of determining a diagnosis of liver cirrhosis. This procedure combines special x-ray equipment with sophisticated computers to produce simple digital images or pictures of the liver so that the scarring of the liver tissue can be seen. It can help determine the severity of cirrhosis as well as other liver diseases. Ultrasound is a type of imaging used which uses sound waves to create pictures of the inside of the abdomen and or pelvis including images of the liver as well. Doppler ultrasound allows for evaluation of blood flow to and from the liver. One other imaging technique that is used to diagnose liver cirrhosis is magnetic resonance imaging which is more commonly known as MRI. This imaging examination is, uses a powerful magnetic field radio frequency pulses and a computer to produce detailed pictures of the liver allowing for assessment of damage caused by various liver diseases. Looking at diagnostic tests that do not even involve imaging, biopsy is one option. Biopsy involves taking a sample of liver tissue which is examined by a pathology doctor to analyse the extent of liver damage. The biopsy is often done by radiologists using ultrasound guidance and is minimally invasive. Another non-imaging diagnostic test is the liver function test. This test involves analyzing the blood for particular enzymes that signal that the liver that liver damage is present. Now let us delve into some of the ways that liver cirrhosis can be treated. These include lifestyle changes including diet changes such as low sodium or plant-based diets and discontinuing the use of alcohol. Medications such as antibiotics may be prescribed in order to avoid infections as well as vaccinations for viral hepatitis, pneumonia and influenza to help you avoid possible illnesses that can cause infections. Your doctor may also prescribe medication to help reduce toxins in the blood. Transjugular intrahepatic Porteous systematic shunt, known as TIPS, which is a procedure used to treat the portal hypertension caused by cirrhosis. An interventional radiologist places a small tube, which is like a stent, into the liver to help bypass blood flow into the liver by directing it back towards the heart. And finally, surgery. In several cases, a liver transplant may be needed, and a liver transplant replaces the damaged liver with a healthy one. From a donor. So now let us move on to the ways in which non-alcoholic fatty liver disease can be treated. Diagnosing this condition accurately will become more significant in the future because it is projected to become a leading indication for liver transplantation. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease causes no symptoms in most cases. It frequently comes to medical attention when tests are done for another reason and this points to a liver problem. This can happen if your body looks unusual on ultrasound or if you have 
abnormal liver enzyme tests. Some of the non-imaging tests that are done to help in the diagnosis of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease include a complete blood count to check for abnormalities in the blood, liver function tests and lipid profile, which measures blood fats such as cholesterol and triglycerides. The imaging techniques used to diagnose non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is almost identical to diagnosing liver cirrhosis and these include CT and ultrasound as mentioned before. There's currently no specific medication for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease but making healthy lifestyle choices such as a low, uh, low intake of saturated fat can help. Treatment also may be recommended for associated conditions such as high blood pressure, diabetes and cholesterol, or for complications. The patient may be advised to have regular appointments with the doctor to check for liver function and look for signs of any new problems. There's not currently any medicine that can treat, as I said before, but various medicines can be useful in managing the problems associated with the condition. For example, doctors may recommend medicine to treat high blood pressure, treat high cholesterol, uh, type 2 diabetes and obesity. Similarly, similar to treatments for liver cirrhosis, liver transplants can also be a potential treatment. So moving on to looking at the treatments and diagnosis for hereditary hemochromatosis. Hereditary hemochromatosis can be difficult to diagnose. Early symptoms such as stiff joints and fatigue may be due to conditions other than hemochromatosis. Many people with the disease don't have any signs or symptoms other than eleva elevated levels of iron in their blood. But it may be identified because of abnormal blood tests done for other reasons from screaming of family members of people diagnosed with the disease. However, the two key tests that are done to detect the iron overloads are called Serum transferrin saturation, which is a test that measures the amount of iron bound to a protein, which is known as transferrin, that carries iron in your blood. Transferrin saturation va values greater than 45% are considered too high. The other test is known as serum ferritin, and this test measures the amount of iron stored in your liver. If the results of your serum transferrin saturation tests are higher than normal, your doctor will check your serum ferritin, which is the second one. Because a number of other conditions can also cause elevated ferritin, both blood tests are typically abnormal among people with this disorder and are best performed after fasting. Elevations in one or all of these blood tests for iron can be found in other disorders as well. So therefore, additional tests are required and these include liver function tests, MRI which we have already seen in the diagnosis of other liver diseases. However, one diagnosis test involves testing for gene mutations. Testing your DNA for mutations in the HFE gene is involved in testing for gene mutations. Testing your DNA for mutations in this HF HFE gene is recommended if you have high levels of iron in your blood. Liver biopsy may be carried out and the liver tissue sample will be sent to a laboratory to be checked for the presence of iron as well as evidence for, of liver damage. Doctors can treat hereditary hemochromatosis safely and effectively by removing blood from the body, which is known as a phlebotomy, on a regular basis. Finally, let's look at the diagnosis and treatment of viral hepatitis.
the diagnosis of hepatitis can vary can vary largely depending on the type of hepatitis hepatitis virus liver biopsy and blood tests are common tests and in terms of treatment antiviral medication is often used to treat hepatitis so hopefully this has given you an overview of how common liver diseases are diagnosed and treated so that's the end of this episode of Medisodes. We hope you have gained a good insight into the liver and its importance in the human body. Make sure to like and share this video and subscribe to Medisodes for more weekly episodes.